0: Hello and welcome back to Fleiss of Obviously you have Chip here and Armin's out over there drinking a glass of water about choking on it. But before we start this episode, we wanna actually say a few announcements. The biggest announcement is, and it's some huge and I mean some huge news. For our Patreon supporters. We are gonna be creating another tier. We're at well, first off, we're gonna create a one dollar tier for those who Can't support five dollars a month. We understand it's difficult times. Some people are are still in school. Some people just need every single cent they make. We understand that and we respect that. I know I need all the money I make. But point is, we're gonna make a one dollar tier for those who just want to support us but can't really give that much. And that's only twelve dollars of a year. But the biggest news is the five dollars tier. Instead of just a shout out, which you're gonna get with the one dollar tier, you will get the shout out. And you'll be put into a, ah, uh, I guess raffle is the best kind of word. For yeah, it. yeah. Um, uh, but you're going to be put into a raffle each month when we are done with this book. We probably have, I think this should be one out of the, or the third to last episode. So probably after this episode, there'll be two more episodes and we will be done. Um, we'll be done with this book and each month after that, we are going to Draw a name from our five dollar tier, so that you, as the listeners, can share your thoughts and your questions for us about Book One, Aragon. And I think that's honestly it. The biggest, the biggest thing is, don't worry if you do not want to be published on, uh, on the podcast. We won't record it. But if you do want to, we'd love to have an interview, and we'll kind of go month by month with it. Remember, the link is below. You can go click on it, and without further ado, we'll jump right into it. All
1: right. Well, y'all, we are starting off with chapter 46 and 47. If you're reading along, starting with hunting for answers. Now, this this section is, is kind of a doozy, it, it's a big ass section. Uh, so, we're going to start off. They just met the Varden, just got taken in after they escaped the cull, or i.e., the guy. But, the bald man has a knife to Murtalk's throat and is trying to examine them. Like mind to mind, like like probe them shit. Oh, this is so. <laughs> this is this is this is a
0: hundred percent the occulumency that Snape does with Harry Potter and Facts. Harry Potter. It really this is exactly is. what it is. That. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's exactly what I thought of when we when we started reading the section.
1: Of course, you know, the occupancy with Snape and Harry was a little more funny than this one.
0: <laughs> a tad bit, a tad bit,
1: just a tad bit. But in any case, in any case, Baldy doesn't really give a shit about them, and he doesn't really give a shit that there's a dragon for the first time in centuries, and yep. he doesn't really give a shit that there's an elf dying on the dragon for nope. the first time in centuries. He just wants to describe them. Which I mean, I guess I don't blame him, but at the same time, he was kind of being a bit like a complete asshole. Like
0: you yeah. got to have some sympathy.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I mean, he. Okay, the, the dwarf ends up talking of down, uh, dwarf orc, which I'm really excited for this next part because just we haven't heard anything about the dwarves and we're now getting an interplay with them. And this dude orc is just kind of ca- he's just, he's just, he's there. There's no like, I guess, sense of awe around him. It's pretty clear that the bald man and all the humans and guards around him are comfortable with the dwarves. And we'll come to find out why that is a little bit later on. But as I was reading this, I was thinking, okay, wow, dwarfs cool
0: but no 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 that's a fucking lie armin you're like fuck yeah War! oh yes yes i, am. I was like, yeah yes, yeah go. no it was no okay cool that's a dwarf. no it was full excitement let's oh, yes. be so honest here
1: very very excited because uh, dwarves are awesome and you know between the three like gimli was one of my favorite characters in lord of the rings
0: i was about to say so i was about to say let's kind of do a little bit of spin-off who is your favorite dwarf between the hava and the lord of the rings
1: between the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, it would probably be uh Keeley. Keeley. Keely, Keely. or Keeley. One of the twins.
0: Yep. I sat ironically mine is the same.
1: Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not talking yep. about the movies all. The movies we shall not speak of those for the nope. Hobbit. Not, not nope. for Lord the Lord of the Rings. The book.
0: Always the book. Only the book. Um
1: okay. Lord of the Rings movies were were in my opinion, good, good. I know not everybody enjoyed those, but those were still the Hobbit badass. ones. But the, yeah,
0: the the Hobbit, they literally made two movies and been done with it. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, in any case, in any case. Feely and Keely from the book, not not from the movies. Although they weren't bad in the movies either. Yeah. But anyway, aside from freaking out about dwarves, I'm really not liking this Baldy and he's kind of fitting the exact expectation that I had for some of the people in power in the part. He definitely Struck me as somebody who would—he was wielding power, and he would very much like to keep it, in the sense of how he is talking to Orc for his insubordination nation, and how he's ordered guards around and refusing to, I guess, help them in any sense. But the dwarf talks him down by referencing the king and Ajihad. Uh, probably pronounced that wrong. Ajihad. Yeah, it's
0: but Ajihad. There's a
1: pronunciation guide. Ajihad. Okay. Yeah. So he references Ajihad and what? the uh, leader would want and the baldy backs down i'm not sure if the bald dude's name is igraz khan because the dwarf calls him that but then later
0: on ajahad says that he has no name i, I, I think there will be part. a description about that later in the books okay okay if not and if there's not you guys can feel free to i mean i know and I know that you guys have always helped us whenever we had random questions and stuff. So please feel free. Emails in the link below also.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just going to keep on calling him Baldi because I don't like it. But in any case, in any case, Aragon agrees to be probe is probably the best way I could put that. And as the um, dude is expect is inspecting his mind, Safira helps block him out for certain things, which I'm like, okay, that I guess that makes sense. And Safira, we get a good glimpse of Sephira's power. Really, like, she almost effortlessly blocks this dude out whom Aragorn can't really control. Oh, yeah. So we just get a slight, and it's not really, not much attention is drawn to it, but we get another hint at Zephira's abilities, at least when involving magic, which I was also super excited about. One more thing. Go Aragon, bro code not revealing Murtaugh's identity. I oh, yeah. was in full agreement with that decision. I was like, okay, this kid's finally understanding how to treat a friend.
0: I think he like, finally got some sense in him. I think this time when he got hit, he finally might <laughs> have got some sense knocked into him. Maybe. We'll find out, but maybe. Uh, not really. Not yeah, really no, Probably not.
1: <laughs> but, 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 Murtaugh refuses to be uh, investigated. Sorry, I just missed the point here. Before I go into that, do not think that I missed the detail about the bald man focusing on details about Aragon's mother. That is really important. What do you think and about I, that? Okay, I'll get to that more, the whole topic of mothers, because we hear Murtaugh's story, and I want to tie that in, too. Okay. But I think, one, we've already gotten hints throughout the entire book that Aragon's mother is a extremely, maybe not important or well-known figure, but she's important to our story. Because she keeps on coming back with other people that knew her or references or allusions to her. And now the dude specifically lingering on it, like that's a detail that you put in that Palini put that in for a reason. I'm right. almost certain of. So I think we'll either see more of like her, Aragon's mother, probably not in this book. Just think we're fairly close to the end. Probably not in this one or some part of her legacy that Aragon will find out about or something along those lines. But I think that that's a really important detail that Pallini intentionally put in there. And I want to expand upon that when we talk about Murtaugh's backstory because there were some hints in there that I'm not overly certain of what to make of, but got me really excited. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Murtaugh refuses to be inspected. And Orich, yeah. once again, the dwarf talks down the bald dude in which he goes, um, I mean, I per- I'm i liking Orich already. You can't really be certain of people's intentions, especially in like this type of situation. Right. But, you know, he's comfortable contradicting the bald man to the extent that he must have his own influence, whether that be between humans and dwarves or between their different statuses. We do find more about that later on. But one more thing about this interaction that I want to point out is that both Murkoch and Auric are really good in political situations. Okay. If you think about it, Murtaugh traps the bald man by, one, refusing to be cowed, and two, since he let Aragorn be inspected first, and he says, since you've already determined Aragorn is trustworthy, you can't hold him, you can't use him to leverage me, and nothing you can do to me will get me to open up. So he knows very well the situation, he knows exactly how to spin it. So I just that one that was important to reference because we haven't really seen murtog's interaction with any other characters. his Aragon doesn't really count in terms of like motive and intrigue and stuff like that,
0: yeah, no Rick like I also, mean, like we talked about yeah. in the last episode um with murtog's um i guess flare out sword you know um being a little kid in terms of his you know he he is practically being like dragged along I don't think dragged along is the right word but that's exactly what it looks like in terms of yeah. his own personal and his position in this story right now so yeah, yeah no he doesn't really get to have an interaction with anyone else that we know of I mean we know he has interactions inside Gilead but we don't know we don't get to see it ourselves. so seeing this like you said it's one of the slickest and coolest moves that one of Mur- uh, Murtaugh could have done for to be able to protect himself and Aragon at the same time
1: uh, once again, kind of got a sort of Strider vibe from it as well. So we were talking about when we first met uh, Murtoch, how similar he is to Strider in that sense. Today's just going to be a little of the Rings day, y'all. I, I don't clearly. know what it is. Maybe it's because it rained for the past week. But yeah, uh, yeah. And the same thing goes for orc Because, you know, stereotypically dwarves are like sort of the rash, ready to rumble sort of um, like more coarse figures. But orc clearly has some political skill as well because he hits the bald man in the ego. When he says, "If you're as magically skilled as you are, you should have no trouble taking care of this kid, so he hits him where it hurts, and that shuts the dude up really fast oh yeah, so it was nice it was nice to see a little um i it's not overly political, but it was nice to see some i guess interplay between those different different factors,
0: oh yeah, it was great, I loved it in terms of especially its iconic you know well." If you say you're as good as you are, then why the <laughs> yeah. fuck do you care? You know, it's great <laughs> in that aspect.
1: As we move on, they go to a room and they're, they're taken to a room by the garden. They are told that they'll, they'll be gotten in the morning. There's one thing about this that I was a little confused about is how the fuck does a full ass dragon fit through a door?
0: ironically i think uh my fiance and i were talking about this too um she was like she was like how the fuck is there a dragon everywhere i'm like look you understand first off and we understand this more and this is one of the phenomenal and this is why this is this is this next chapter i think and then other descriptions about this place is my favorite part about this book and i'll get more into that when we get there but my the just to answer your question right now she can fit through One, they are dwarfs and they like things big. And two, they already knew there were things as dragons and the Varden are already there and there have been dragons there before. Okay.
1: Okay. And we do get a bit of a description like uh, a little bit later on saying where dragons can go. I was just like, okay, they to a room. Is it like cavernous? or did she just like morph through a, through a door?
0: No, also <laughs> you like got to realize. A you, in <laughs> yeah, you also got to realize she's still not full grown yet. I mean, no, but she's big. Like, yeah. But she's still not full grown.
1: As far as we know, we do get Murtaugh's complete story in this, like in this evening. I was a little disappointed. I thought there'd be more to it. Like, it was really? a little plain. Like, you know what I mean? it wasn't plain, but like we get his life story, but I was expecting more. I was expecting more. Like it kind of just whizzes by, you know?
0: I mean, I get that, but you also got to realize it's not like, He's going to share everything. He's just going to share the main things that need to be known. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's telling the truth without all the details, you know? As far as we
1: know. Yeah. But I mean, like, it's also when it comes to like Galbatorics, it's like, okay, met with the king. Nothing happened. Met with the king. Oh, king's bad. Let's go. It's like, but you want more from that? I was just expecting a little more detail into like, Maybe like a specific event in his past that made him specifically not like the king.
0: He did like talk about of, it though.
1: No, no, he talked about he talked about the king's order to kill the villagers, and yeah. But aside from that, showing you know, aside from that, showing that more that Murtog has a mild moral compass, like. No, I, I think more I like think drama it's drama behind it.
0: Well, I, I, this is what I believe. I believe that Murtog knows his father and who his father person, like his personality is, and what that is, yeah. right, from growing up. And when he met the king the first time, he says, oh, maybe this is different.
1: Mm.
0: And then as soon as he sees that, the flip of the switch from Galvatorex, ah. it's, oh, fuck, this is nothing different. I don't want to fucking yeah. deal with this shit. I'm out. Yeah. That's yeah, that, no, that's I... why, and that's why there's such lack of description for it. And that's why it's only this one incident, even though this is the soul and like the whole premise of the of Galvatorex and the Forsworn. You know, like yeah. this is it.
1: I don't know. I was just thinking, like, for as much as Palini is dragged out and fleshed out certain parts of the story, I was hoping that we'd get a bit more from Murtog's backstory, but we might still later. And it's still like, it's a, like, it's a fight for what we need to know. Yeah. So, I mean, yes. And also what he was talking about with Galvatorics, I hope that this isn't a Mad King type of story. See, really? Maybe? Yes. Okay. Because. The thing is, like madness in terms of vill- like in terms of making your villain a villain because they're crazy. Sometimes works. Right. My prime example here would be a story like Five Kingdoms. If any of y'all out there have ever read that, you need to read that because it's a fantastic series. One of my favorites, actually. But the king himself slowly went mad off of like influence from his right hand man and his general and, but the thing is, the problem with madness is that when it comes to a choice of, in this case, good or evil, because we've talked about Aragon's choice in the past about he's going to have to choose a side sometime, it makes it that it makes his choice way too easy if the person on one side is just insane. Whereas in the other series I was referencing, the choice isn't between joining the Mad King or joining the Rebels, it's between going home, because the kid's stuck in a fantasy land, between going home and joining the Rebels. So, like, Aragon's choice, it takes away from the gravity of it if Galvatorex is just insane.
0: Okay, I'll let you, I'll, I'll hold on to that one, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we meet Ajahat. Okay. Because okay. Right. there's some things that he says that I want to point out also.
1: Okay, yeah, that's that's pretty much it, though, uh, in terms of, oh yes, Mothers. So, Murtog talks a bit about his mother in the sense that Morrison met her, uh, used her for like political intrigue and used her as a servant, um, and that she disappeared after he was born and disappeared after Morrison died, returned very briefly for like, I think, believe he said a fortnight and then died. I would not be surprised if we felt after effects of Murtog's mother and stuff that she did, because in the time period that she disappeared in, a lot of stuff couldn't... There's a potential for a lot of things to have happened.
0: Okay, like what? Whether Murtaugh knows that or
1: not. Like, she could have... Um, I mean, she could have met with Varden, she could have gone off and done any number of things because she was shielded from Galbatorix and the rest of the writers. Okay. So in the time that a character disappears, so much can happen. Right. So I was, I was thinking there is a possibility that Murtaugh's mother might come back into play In a similar manner to Aragorn's mother. Okay. And I'm not sure if Pali is just really hitting home on mothers in this chapter. But all of the references to them don't quite seem to be a coincidence to me.
0: What do you mean?
1: I am not, and I repeat, I am not going to go as far as to predict that they're brothers. That would be ridiculous.
0: Okay.
1: And I think that it it could happen because both of their mothers were decidedly absent had very mystical backstories were fairly well known by the people around them like fairly like a lot of people knew them and were all in all mysterious and had no connection to their lives that they know of
0: in terms of just
1: in terms of like being around okay so I wouldn't go as far as to predict. like I'm definitely not predicting that they're brothers. I personally think that that would be kind of dumb.
0: Okay.
1: But I'm not discounting the possibility of it. And I'm also, I just think that all this attention that Palini is drawing to either Aragorn's mother or Martog's mother means that some thing that they did or something that happened to them will come back up. Oh, okay. yeah most likely in a later book. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, that's... It just seems, you know, it's like Three's Company. It seems that like too much... Like, it keeps on being referenced, and therefore, yeah. it can't just be a coincidence.
0: Right. I, I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah. That, that's where my line of thinking was, just going around the others.
0: Okay. I think that Murtaugh's story, like I said before, is exactly what it needs to be, in the sense. Yeah, it might seem short, but this is... I mean, this is where somehow me reading between the lines actually comes into play. That I do it every once in a while. You know, you got to read between the lines of, you know, there's more to this than just the few things that he says about Gambitores. So. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. It's it definitely like suits. It definitely suits like what we know about Murkar so far. And um, it, it even though we know his story, he's still, I guess, air of mystery at least, at least in my mind. So okay. it was. It was, I guess, very suitable to his character. So, and it didn't right. really change it in any way. It was mostly backstory, exposition, to origin,
0: yeah. data. And basically. I think, ironically, I think we just need to accept this whole book as exposition. I'm just saying this that right now. This entire book is exposition. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying that. <laughs> and, and maybe we just, maybe you and I just overthink where exposition or what exposition is. But you've read and I actually I'm reading it currently and if you haven't read it, trust me, you need to read it. I forget who it's by, but uh uh how to read literature like a professor. Yes.
1: Yes. That's uh a great book. Who is it by? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I actually should probably Google it if we're gonna if we're gonna reference that book.
0: Yeah, I got it. I got it um, on my uh got it on my nightstand right now. I'm I'm currently reading it and it's one of the as someone who hates reading, and ironically, right, because I'm doing a podcast that I have to read in, but this is something I actually like reading about. Um, I I'm reading this book, and it's helping me understand a lot of the beginning episodes where Armin talks about how literature is being played out. So, if you haven't read it and you're trying to be, you know, as smart as Armin, or you are as confused as me, read how to read <laughs> a how to read like a how to read literature like a Professor by Thomas
1: C. Foster.
0: Okay, Thomas C. Foster. Okay. Yes.
1: So, a lot of the stuff that I say did come from that book. Like a lot oh, yeah. of my understanding of literature because I used that uh that book was assigned to me for one of my uh one of my lit classes. So, um a lot of the stuff for analyzations and stuff came from that book and it explains it really well. Like it explains so much about literature, like symbolism, characters, setting, weather, just what that stuff all means archetypally. Right. So, yeah, it is. I would also highly recommend that.
0: Yeah, but the point is, is that if we, if we believe that this is all exposition, and actually, it's not. Like, I get that hearing things from the past or setting up things can be exposition, but in reality, isn't like as a DM for D and D, I like. There's a lot of things that I set up for the players and stuff that could be seen as exposition when reality is just the storyline it makes you know so i get that oh, yeah. like i mean maybe we're just like oh this is all exposition when in reality it's just like nope these are just easier for yeah, us to I understand mean, what's happening
1: half of the story is setting up the characters and the other half is executing it so i mean yeah yeah but to be fair the first 60 percent of this book was purely exposition yeah that is- <laughs> the first yeah in any case, in any case, the next morning they go, they are traveling down this big-ass stone passage to The Aragon, I actually really appreciated Aragon's inner monologue here, because he started asking all of the right questions. He's starting to ask himself, like, how the dwarves are interacting, like, what the city is like, how they're, how Ajahad might uh, treat them. The one disparity that was here, and I could just be forgetting things, but he talks about Ajaha's reputation and saying he had a reputation for being an extremely cunning man and extremely like um, ruthless and very skilled with a sword and rose to power and has been fighting Galbatorix for 20 years. And he's like, Where the hell did that come from? It's just like, Aragon knew nothing about the Varden. As people told him about the Varden, the entirety of the book, and now they have a reputation?
0: I believe a lot of it it could be weird thing or things he's heard from brahm things he's heard maybe i i don't believe anything came from murtaugh because he just was never went there so why would he know i mean he would know what galvatorex told him so maybe if there's anything like that possibly but i I do believe that brahm and aragon were had had discussions about what was happening or what was okay about uh, as especially as being very good friends you know
1: yeah, uh, I just think there's a bit of a, just a small like discrepancy that I would have expected to happen earlier, in the sense of just specifically Ajahad's reputation, because if he's as a well-known figure as Aragorn thinks he is right now, then I would have assumed that we would have heard more about that from the actual other people in the book. But regardless, it you know it's not not like a crucial thing. But the part that we've all been waiting for. I spent a good half hour just kind of reveling in the description
0: of Tronchi. Thank like,
1: goodness. Oh my God.
0: When you, I was, okay, I want to just back up. When you were talking about how much you love descriptions of cities and you talked about Tirum and everything. Oh yeah. Oh my God. I was God. like, wait until you get here. Oh yeah.
1: Tron, that, first of all, Minas Tirith much? Anyone? Anyone?
0: Minas Tirith? A little bit, a little bit. I was thinking more a of the Minds of Moria. Mines
1: like, of, see, the thing, like, yeah, the tunnel or, was Or the, Mines or the Mori.
0: mist or the misty mountains, or like mm. the uh, sorry, the lonely mountain.
1: Yes, so like I think the tunnel definitely, like the whole passageway that went to there, and then the door at the end. I know, yeah, Mines of Mori with the door. Yep, um, yes, that was definitely, definitely indicative, but the actual city itself definitely, especially how it like, like rose up and had the like the sheer wall that the dragon couldn't scale. I was yeah. definitely thinking Minas Tirith there because you know how Tirith like um or the uh you know how like there's levels to it
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Or, or the uh we talked about it in the last episode the green ghost and the in the movie they're white in the book What well, where yeah. is that what is that called again
1: uh i don't remember if it has an actual it probably has an actual name but i remember okay. that
0: okay but point is is that that when they showed in the movie you see this city come out as a ghost city also not just people, but you oh, see their city and it's like oh, skyrocketing yeah. inside the mountain. That's what I also, I was imagining, but I, yeah. I, it was so this. Dope. I, there's, and this is not even half of what you get to like get the description. Oh, of, yeah. It's even great. Like, you know, yeah. like, it is so much more than this. And, uh, I just can't wait for it to keep on reading about it.
1: Yeah. That was just once again, Pali masterful with many things, but his top seller, I think I can safely say is imagery.
0: Oh, Yes.
1: Oh my god, that was just I, I really just kind of reread that little section and then the next section where he describes it again. Yeah. I just kind of reread those maybe three or four times, just kind of like sitting back. <laughs> it just kind of just completely absorbed because that was it's just so cool. And
0: oh, it's amazing.
1: For actually to design something like that and then put words to it, just the imagination of Pality is just incredible. Oh yeah. I mean it there's no other words I can really use for it. So that was yeah, Tron was fantastic. Yeah. It it back is back to literature nerd stuff. Unless you have more to say about Tron
0: other than it is one of the most remarkable things that you could possibly have described. Yeah. And i yeah. and sadly, this is like the only book I really remember. I remember a big plot. Things that happen in later books, but like, like I would come back just to read this chapter, and like from like this chapter to the end of the book, like I would literally just come back and read this section over because it was one of my favorite sections. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: back to literary nerd stuff. Yeah, that scene at the gate made me uncomfortable. Why? So in terms of story, not in terms of writing, it was very well written, but, but. So the scene at the door when the crowd is waiting for Aragorn and then the Varden tell him to get on the dragon and he does and then he waves and, you know, Saphira kind of shows off a little bit. Aragorn kind of picked on what was happening, but he kind of really missed the whole point. He thought that they wanted him to show off, which was kind of the point. But the real point is that the Varden were already using him as a symbol as a rallying call, because he's description of the people who are very like haggard and tired and they are not like, they're definitely not as prosperous and happy as their surroundings. Right. So because of that, you can Im- you know, imply that they've been through hard times and the Varden telling him to get on the dragon, he sees it as showing off. It is showing off, but it's far more of a statement than he realizes.
0: Oh yeah. It's a new hope, basically, you know, that new, that new thing that you can put your, your faith into in terms of looking toward the future. And that's, and that's completely, and and granted, he, I mean, if I was in his position at 16 years old, I'd probably think the same thing, you know, but like for him, it's, and for us as readers, and we're, as we're, you know, diving into it, it's like you said, it is the, it's the use. They're using him to show yeah. that the Varden are something bigger than they are.
1: Yeah, that was that. That in particular was what made me uncomfortable about that scene, is because they are clearly using him. And we'll get into a little bit more, a little bit later on about just how much they're manipulating him. But that's just I could you could clearly see that they were using him as a symbol, and you know, using him as a symbol isn't overly a bad thing. But we still. Aragon doesn't really have a defined view on this. He thinks Galvatorix is bad. He has mixed feelings about the Varden, mostly from Sephira. He doesn't really have his own opinion on what is right or what should be done. Right. We'll get more into that after his conversation with Ajahad, which is really, really cool.
0: Okay. Do we go to dive so, into that, then?
1: Yes. I think there's there's one more scene of the, like, wealth and majesty of Tronji, that, once again, just kind of got lost in that. And yeah. there's one more thing before we get into Ajihad, is that the dwarves are not looking too happy about Aragon's presence. Several of them are glaring at him, several of them are turning and walking away. We, we find out a little we'll bit later, but it is clearly a dwarven city that humans right. are in. The dwarves are harboring the humans, which I thought was really important and really cool because usually it's the the humans are usually never the outsiders. But in this city, it is very clear that the dwarves are not overly happy with that arrangement.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, we – and like you said, and we'll hit it again, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit kind of thing, you know, everywhere the hobbits go. And the hobbit in their backstories, especially, you know – Thorne um, Oakenshield. He, I mean, he talks about when he's trying to work, you know, and he always just looked down upon, it, even though he is mm-hmm. definitely by far the best, the best blacksmith they might have. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, everywhere they went, they're always looked up, looked down upon. And then when, you know, when we have this swap in terms of the way it is being played, you know, it is the annoyance of these people, you know, in and almost invading in your personal space so and again we'll touch base a little bit more on to why they aren't necessarily the happiest to see Aragorn um, and yeah. Sephira
1: the Varden take Aragorn, Murtog and Sephira to Ajihadra the first thing they do is throw Murtog in jail should have seen it coming I mean yeah I still don't understand why Aragon's surprised at this <laughs> yeah I don't need it. <laughs> I mean, Uh, there's one thing that was a little weird that they do touch on is that had recognizes Murtaugh's voice and then asks to see the scar.
0: Yeah, how would he know the scar's there?
1: I don't know how he knew about the scar. He talks about why he knows the voice. Because he met Morrison he tells Eragon that later in the chapter. Yeah, how he was he like, scar? oh
0: yeah, was Morrison just like, yeah, I just, you know, cut my son's back open. If you ever see him, yeah. just, you know, there's a scar in the back if you don't ever look at it, haha. Like, what the fuck, like, how does he know that Murtaugh <laughs> has this scar on the back of his ba- back? I was, I'm very confused about that.
1: Yeah, as we're going through, Murtaugh still refuses, uh, saying that his mind is the one sanctuary that no one has been able to get to. Which was actually kind of moving, I was like, damn. Yeah. yeah.
0: Open up, kid. Like, um, it it was a very it's a very powerful move for Murtagh to be this strong and this um, uh I guess sturdy in his position and how he feels about this and what is happening. It's definitely
1: making me more drawn to him. Like it's if I was oh, in arrogance...
0: And also, how the fuck? How many Murtaugh are there out there in the world of Alagaesia? The twins are like, oh yeah, we knew he was Murtaugh, but we didn't think it was that Murtaugh. How the fuck do you not think it's that Murtaugh? I mean, like, dude, you you literally, like, this is, like, it's not like, you know, you walk into Gilead or Tearum and there's, like, five of the Murtaugh's around. No, it's not you like know, Peter.
1: That's true. Like, his name's Peter.
0: Yeah, like, you walk around anywhere, you know, or Chad or Jake or any white boy name, basically. No offense, white boys <laughs> out there. Armin's white boy, so, you know, that's there true. you go. But the point boy. is, is that it's, I don't have a white boy name, though no you don't it's like basically <laughs> it's it, it's like if there are really that many other murtals out there you know like, yeah, like and if the twins are as as smart or as powerful maybe not as the point is, is if they are as you know big and bad as they say they are they would know about what age murtals would be now and so I mean, they would...
1: don't understand how the bard like the guards or oric don't understand that like yeah. If he's it's, as big of a deal as everyone's making him, shouldn't he like have one
0: posters? Like Yeah. But no but the thing is, yes he's killed and da da da, but he's always killed for what is reasonable. He's never done anything wrong. Oh
1: I mean, um, yeah, he's yeah. not a criminal. At yeah. least not to us, because he's not done anything illegal.
0: And I mean, also and also think about it this way. If you're in Gal place, would you want the world to know that the sun the only son of the biggest and baddest forsworn is now out of your own fucking control?
1: I mean, there's two kind of ways you can spend that. Either yes, if you just want to make people scared, or also no, if you want to see it as a weakness. So, I mean, yeah.
0: But let's say Galvatore says who he is. We know that he wants to be the biggest and baddest in rule all. So, having someone who has slipped through his grasp, he would not want the world to know that. And so... I, I believe that maybe, you know, and especially not being able to find him, you know, Galvatorex has kept him, Murtaugh, not being there to as minimal as possible, you know. Unless he has,
1: like, further plans for him.
0: Maybe. I don't know.
1: Because Galvatorex intentionally kept Murtaugh a secret from the rest of the Force War. That's true. So it might be that that Galvatorex saw Murtaugh as an asset or an opportunity. We don't know if that's the case now because you know, obviously he escaped, but still. And Aragon also touches on this when what I think was an incredibly stupid move, but we'll get to that at the end of Ajah's conversation. But yeah. for now, Murtaug is in jail because he refuses to submit, but that did make me like it more. Okay. Because it, it fit. It was like the only person he'd ever been able to rely on was himself. So it's not like he was gonna stop relying on himself and his his sanctuary as he called it. At somebody's whim, exactly. So if I was Aragon, I would definitely try to stick by Murtaugh instead of blatantly choosing a side. Oh yeah, yeah. But more from Ajihad. We hear about the elves and Elasmera, which is Mera. actually really interesting. Yes, Elis Mera, which was really cool. I was honestly wasn't expecting it to be an Elvish. I was not expecting it to be to the north either i thought it'd be like some like distant land across the sea kind of thing yeah
0: because like, i thought that was i thought that was said and maybe i'm very wrong in that but i thought they talked about the elves left the land yeah
1: like i think but maybe maybe i'm just that, mixing up lord of
0: the rings right
1: now no, 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 okay well one one you're not people just use it all the time you're th- like just like i was thinking it'd be something like i believe it's the gray lands where the elves go after lord of the rings like right. um they go there, I think if they go there between, um. Like three and four. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. They leave as, as, uh, Sauron is about to destroy the entire world. But, yep. Regardless, I was thinking it would be something like that, isn't, you know, they're across the ocean. Um, cause I pretty clearly said that they left. Like.
0: Right, no, they left they're, the they're, lands?
1: They're in the northern woods. So they didn't leave. Unless not all of them left, or like, so it's,
0: like it's like Rivendell, like yeah. You know, yeah. some are still in the lands, but you know, majority of them have left.
1: Yeah. So I nope. mean, eh. in any case, here that they had a tactic of shuffling the egg around between the elves and the humans in order to, and this is the egg that we're talking about. So we finally get the backstory of how and what Arya was doing with the egg. Yeah. She was moving it back and forth which I don't mean to be coarse and obstinate here. He does. But that doesn't seem like the greatest idea to do with your most like precious asset.
0: Yes, but it's for the reason it makes sense. It does. Because I mean, what, would you rather have, I would assume hundreds of kids, you know, or, you know, uh, you know, at least the first few years, hundreds of kids travel across Alligazia as a rule, the empire all the way down you know what i mean like or would you rather just transport the egg back and forth so yeah you know yeah. It, it's for the purpose it makes sense and i love how this is where we get to see the moment of the influence like the strongest influence of brahm in the Varden yeah. and the elves yeah. world you know about how it, the the final agreement is that brahm is going to train him first If he's still alive, you know, he's going to train him and then the elves get him. Like, impartially, like he'll You, whatever you read fantasy, you believe the elves are the most exalted overall. You know, it is, it says as if elves are first and then everything else right after. But here Brahm is, and even dead, if he's, they know that he still has a pull. It's remarkable. I definitely
1: do think, like, elves are still exalted in this story, but oh, yeah. I guess the sort of size of Brahm's character in, and his, just in his influence in this world gives us a bit more perspective as to how he knew everything, which is, just means, wait, we were criticizing, when I was criticizing him in the past. Did I, say? Um, I don't think I
0: ever criticized him. <laughs> no, you
1: did. That was all me. <laughs> we do get more of a hint as to just the in, just the impact of Brom on this entire continent, which is really cool, and it goes to show of Brom's, I guess, Brom's own skill because he was to train like like you said he was to train the rider before the rider was the elves. Yeah, we do it, also see more of the elves' influence
0: in terms of the. Like the, the amount the amount of support they give the Varden and the yeah. and the things they're able to provide.
1: Yeah, and how yeah. once they withdrew their support after Arya was kidnapped, the Varden basically stopped winning.
0: The biggest thing that I I think we need to realize or understand is elves haven't been seen for a very long time. Besides Arya. But elves as a whole mm-hmm. haven't been seen in a very long time. And correct me if I'm wrong if I'm misunderstanding what is being said here, but Ajahad is basically saying that without the materialistic support, not even the actual physical support, but the materialistic support of the elves, they were able to withstand, maybe not conquer, but withstand Gabatorix's power very well. Like to a very good degree. Like almost, you know, every battle it could be a fifty-fifty. Once the mm-hmm. elves materialistic support was gone. You know, they had struggles and they started losing, you know, a lot more. It was like a 70-30, you know, 80-20. But the the biggest thing is, what if the elves had stuck their head out and started actually fighting physically or sh- showing support physically? You know, it is always said, and Brom says it, that, you know, if you ever cross blades with an elf, you're going to be done for no matter how skilled you think you are. They are stronger, faster, and have better endurance than any other creature out there. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how big the elven community is in Aligazia, but I would assume it's fairly large to have a huge city yeah. and be known as well as they are to be able to also provide for another whole entire nation, practically, of yeah. people, you know, across the world. And this is one of the few times I I, I actually think that Polini might have had to think about it a little bit more. And what he was saying is you, you're saying that these things are so powerful that there's a lot of them and all they're doing is just giving things to people to help and those people are doing very well with that and then, well, as soon as they don't get that they don't do as well why don't you just bring the actual elves out you know like, like it, it is it didn't seem realistic to me that the uh, the that the Varden would do so well with just only the materialistic support of the elves.
1: Yeah, it was a little. We do move through this section very fast. Oh yeah, and I wish they'd spent, probably need to spend more time in the details of the actual, I guess, stratagems or machinations of what happened. Because when, like, we hear Asja had saying, you know, we've basically come to a halt since we stopped being supported by the elves, and he also references uh, like they haven't been getting supplies from their merchants like Jod. Yeah. Um, which led to them having, him suspecting that they have a spy in their midst or like a traitor, which I doubt there's only, I highly doubt there's only one if your entire trade system is gone now. But,
0: yeah. there's a few more <laughs> but, than one, buddy. Sorry to bust your bubble. Yeah,
1: I, yeah. You definitely don't have one. You're, you're thinking of split factions here.
0: Yeah.
1: But I wish there had been a little bit more detail into the actual warfare aspect because the Varden are at war. And I wish instead of, um, there's definitely more of a focus on, on imagery and more of Aragon himself and the effect of the rider. But in terms of setting the stage, <laughs> here I am asking for more sa- stages to be set. I wish we had gotten more, I guess, detail about the actual war. Because also if the Varden are constantly fighting Gavatworks, why haven't we heard about it? Like, why hasn't there been effects of those battles that aragon has come across because he traverses the entirety of alagasia so the war and the Varden have been so far removed from our narrative that now like we need more detail on it now right we might get it like we might get it in a few chapters or in the next book but our narrative so far has solely focused on aragon's passage instead of and we don't we get less detail about what's going on around him yep. than we do about his actual progression.
0: Right. There's a possibility that Ajahad believed that Brahm would have informed him of other things. And Brahm didn't. And and so I think there's a lot of holes and gaps in the the the, the explanation that Ajahad is giving Aragon that he maybe he believes that Brom filled in, and Aragon doesn't realize that they're as important as they need to be, or understand that it's just something that needs to be asked, and, and so just kind of a mis misunderstanding and miscommunication between them two. Mm-hmm. So that, that's just something random, but
1: we also now get the position that Buvard are in, as we hear of <laughs> Skyrim. Okay, you know how we've been referencing how. This brings up a lot of stuff from archetypes and Lord of the Rings. Right. Well, you know, you know, high Hrothgar in Skyrim? Yes. Dwarf King Hrothgar. Here we are. Um, oh, yeah. So we hear that the King of the Dwarfs is sympathetic to the Varden. However, the 13 clans are not. Right. And the 13 clans are very not happy. And that's, we get that, uh, sort of aspect of in that explanation of why the dwarves and the humans are less compatible than we initially assumed or I initially assumed so we do get that aspect which was very interesting because I want to combine that with I guess the next thing that Aja had said where people are going to want Aragorn to solve their problems oh yeah and we we're that's really important too there's a lot of speculation we could do on that but the first thing that i thought when i heard that was that's definitely going to cause some conflict because he's just gonna he's gonna make some mistake between humans and dwarves and they're gonna get pissed at him and like that is such a brewing ground for conflict. oh yeah. aragon's trying to help everyone and dwarves don't want him there
0: yeah which is just difficult to deal with
1: yeah but how do you think that is going to go Aragon trying to help people with their daily lives.
0: I think. I remember too much to make a statement on it.
1: Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> I personally think I'm inclined to say that it's gonna go very poorly, because Aragon's character up until now hasn't been that great with
0: oh, he anticipating. Sucks with he sucks with
1: people. He doesn't understand like his The worst thing about him is that he doesn't understand how his actions affect people. Nope. And that's not really a good situation to be in if people are like, you know, asking to marry you or asking you for like to bless their kids. Like, he's gonna have to learn very quick. My anticipation is that in the coming chapters, there'll be one or two specific events of stuff like this that he's gonna learn from. We'll get some character development. We'll get some interaction in Tronji and stuff like that. But he's really, he's going to have to learn fast. Oh yeah. If he doesn't want to, you know, start a race war. So I think he's going to have to learn really fast so that he doesn't piss the wrong people off, whether that's within the Varden or amongst the dwarves or amongst the regular humans. So I'm not, I'm not sure how that's going to go. Uh, um, I and think Safira. I wonder how Saphira is going to interact with that.
0: I think Saphira will do better than she believes how she will be makes Makes sense makes sense you know Mm -hmm. i think just like if you look at her back character like especially when when azhad comes up to her and she's like like you pretty much just say like you are the foundation of what aragon's strength is you know like your power or and what you are as a dragon will always be better and stronger especially with your rider but and her and her I love the little back and forth they have together both Ajahn and Safira you know the whole you know I I would rip those people apart or you know like yeah. It, yeah. it's it's one of those things it's one of those relationships that you realize that Safira is and I'm not saying she wasn't before but you realize that more here and more now that she is 100% always will and will be tied and a part of Aragon, you know, and yeah and, and that is always and, and granted obviously like and obviously as we know, she in lack of better words, quotation marks there shows Aragon to be the writer for her you, you know, mm-hmm. as as in the egg and everything, it's a very powerful, you know, connection they have that makes them as strong and um as strong and as unique, you know. And and I'm not saying not and I'm not saying that all other dragon writers don't have this connection now i'm gonna look something up in my book because there's one thing i really wanted to touch base on that you didn't touch base on and i think is okay. really really fucking important okay one and second. as you're looking for
1: that there's just one that's been gratifying about Saphira, and aragon makes this clear it's becoming more clear as we read on is that sephira is the baddest mofo around like aragon states it that she is like the the twins may be able to overcome him, but they don't hold a candle to, to Zephira. And in that one part, there's one time where, you know, Aragon makes a speech, he, you know, asks what is expected of him here, because he's beginning to understand that he's being manipulated. So he's making progress. He at least understands that people are trying to manipulate him. Then he goes on and ruins it by being arrogant. Yeah, pretty um, much. He, he makes that, he makes a the speech to Ajihad was cool. The speech that he, like, you know, he knows he's being manipulated and he wants, like, he knows his own thing. He doesn't say what he believes in, but he knows that his own beliefs may not always lie with what's expected of him. But then he tells Ajihad, the Varden leader, possibly one of his biggest threats, that he's more powerful than Brahm, which is true. And he tells him that Sephira is more powerful than the twins. And he tells him that the fact that he has Sephira is why he was more powerful than Brow. He lays it all out for this dude. And the entire time, was was like, okay, cool speech, kid. If you're being really dumb right now. Because it's like a villain. <laughs> Basically, that's like if Darth Vader told Luke and Han how to blow up the Death Star. Why would that make sense in any way, shape, or form? If you have an ace, the ace being Saphira, if you have an ace, a 2, a 4, a 5, and a 7, why would you trade in the ace? Like, why would you tell an extremely powerful, dangerous, cunning man exactly how to take you down? Right. Just, 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 yes, that really got on my nerves, because, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it just got on my nerves, because Aragon basically laid out how to take him down to an extremely dangerous person. Like that's not something that's not something you should tell anyone, especially if you're like the only hope for half of the population. But there he goes. That that was normal. At I mean, least for me. I don't know how, how anybody else took that. But are you still looking for
0: Okay, I believe and I'm trying to double check myself. Yeah. Isn't there a section? And correct me if I'm wrong. That Galvatork's dragon died?
1: Okay, I remember reading that. I remember being mildly confused as to, hold oh, on, what the fuck? I don't... What's that reference there you never,
0: You never said anything that's about That's not
1: it. something... That's not something you just, like, throw around. You know? Yeah, but you... I know I didn't write anything about that in the... Uh, in in our notes, I think that's just because as I was reading, I assumed that it had been referenced before. I feel like it was by Brom.
0: No, he was talking about his dragon.
1: I know Brom. I know Brom's dragon died.
0: I don't think he was talking about Galvatorix's dragon. Okay, that's that. Oh, so I'm, tra- so I'm, trying, I'm trying to look for that section real quick.
1: Please let us know. We're too lazy to actually go back and look and see if we like learned of this before.
0: i I'm um, looking at it and I just can't find the fucking section.
1: <laughs> it is pissing me off. I know, I know that Ajahad says that. I remember Okay, so, de- okay. Yeah.
0: So, I can't find it, but I, I, I feel 100% confident. And I, it's either 100% truth or 100% lie that Ajahad says he that say it. is I'm, dragon, I'm and is dragon's dead. And they don't understand how Galbatorx is getting stronger each, each year.
1: I, I specifically and remember that section. You are right. Yeah. It,
0: it is, it, and I, I want to touch, touch base on that. What are your thoughts on that?
1: My thoughts are that his dragon isn't actually dead. Like that's kind of oldest trick in the book would be just to fake the death of the thing that makes you powerful, and st- send all of your enemies on a wild goose chase trying to figure out how you're still powerful when you're just there. It's okay. like the um, it's like the word of power in Beyonders.
0: Okay, I haven't read that yet.
1: You should also great series.
0: Okay, <laughs> my thought process is and and if this is explained in later books. Wait till we get there. This is something I don't remember. Oh. Does he get a second dragon? Is that possible to have a second dragon? Can a writer get a can, can? a writer be chosen again for from another dragon? And
1: I don't quite see why
0: not. I don't see why not either. Yeah, and, and that's and this is the biggest thing is the longevity of life is due by both. Is is given to all the writers, right? You know that that's that's part of being a writer. You get a very ex, extended life, but yeah, in, in Gavatork situation, you know he's ruled forever a century now, da da. But it, it's is he still with the like you said? Is that is he just faked it and said that his dragon was dead, or maybe that his like you know whole point in, like in the Hobbit? The fucking movie part, not the book, but The Hobbit, where he kills the the one I think it was an orc or a, the goblin, not the goblin king, but the the main the main nemesis, the main antagonist, who has the brother. Oh yeah, Azor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how he like chops off his yeah, arm? Boom. He's like, oh, he died long ago. Da da, da da Oh yeah. You know, and he comes back. You know that that could have been it. You know, maybe they thought they killed the dragon, but it wasn't actually dead. Like you're saying, uh, my thoughts are: is it possible for a for a writer to be a writer again you know
1: if it wasn't possible i feel like we would have been told so
0: i believe so also and i also believe if it's said earlier in the books or earlier in this book Please, Please tell us, know. Yeah. I listen, and I actually want to read it. Tell me the page number, you know, just, and I'll read yeah, that page. Yeah, like, let yeah, me know yeah. where it is because I, I want to reread that section. If you know where it is, um, if Brahm ever mentions it because I don't think he ever does. I know he mentions his own dragon, but I do not think he mentions Galvatorx's dragons being dead. It and would if, be weird. and, and if Aragon is talking to Heshihad and Heshihad has this information about know, Galvatorx's dragon being dead. If I was in Aragon, shoes, I would fucking flip out. I'd be like, wait, 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 what? Yeah, that's why and,
1: That's why I feel like it has to be, it has to have been referenced beforehand because that's too big of a bombshell just to be thrown around like that.
0: Yeah, I like, I don't know. Hmm, yeah, that, so okay. it, but if it's explained later in the series, please do not let us know. It's going to be a surprise to me just as much as yeah. it is for Armin. So that is, that, that's it. But I think with that, oh wait, hold on, do you have something else to say?
1: In terms of speculation, okay. if we're talking about how Galbatorix has his power, in terms of speculation, this is probably how it's going to go. Aragon will probably have a confrontation with Galbatorix or a minion of Galbatorix in which he loses. He looks for the reason as to why Galbatorix has more power, as as referenced by Ajahad. Probably goes to the um, the prophecy, the thing that the cat tells him. Goes to the peak of some summit and say that word. Okay. I imagine, I said this when he was told the prophecy, but I imagine that he will learn something new there. Whether that is something about Galatoric, something about himself, information. Right. This is, also y'all, if this sounds vaguely familiar, this is the basic hero archetype. Fall, info, new understanding, wins. Yep, yep, yep. I imagine that, I imagine that that's how it would go. I imagine that the peak, the whole, like, like, the specific nature of the prophecy, that he would go to a specific place, say a specific thing in his time of need, makes me think that there he'll learn something about why Galbacorix has this power. Either it's that his dragon never died, he has another one, or he, I guess, like, leeches the power off the other riders or something like that. He
0: has done what Anakin could not. He has lived even longer. He has made sure that his loved one which I'm pretty sure Galvatorex is just very narcissistic. And so yeah. his loved one is himself will live on forever. He has done what Anakin cannot do. Oh my god. Bro,
1: don't get me started on Anakin.
0: Uh, I think we I'm, should just I'm, do a bonus episode of where all we talk about is Star Wars.
1: We should. We should. Because if any of y'all and, out there Watch this! I am in season six of Clone Wars, and I'm about to watch rewatch episode three along with season seven.
0: And if we get your brother on it,
1: oh no, we cannot bring my brother. On we could. To a we Star could make Wars a whole episode. series. No. We could make
0: a whole entire ep- like, podcast no. again.
1: No, we could not. We could. Not. We
0: could, we could make a whole we entire podcast all over.
1: We can't. We shouldn't. <laughs> You think, Please, this call takes a long you think this book takes a long ass time to get through? <laughs> Imagine how much editing you would have to do if we had my brother on
0: here. You know, if we if, if we did that, I wouldn't edit it. I would make it true and try it all the way. I'd literally just Which post it.
1: means that we would post hour-long episodes weekly and it would take us five fucking years to get through one movie. Which
0: is great. <laughs> we figured it out. We figured out the podcast. Jesus I'm no kidding. We love you guys. We're always going to be here. Oh, man, don't worry. We'll finish this whole series first before we start that podcast.
1: And What's once the we possibility? Finish, if we finish the series, I'm making you read a specific book, and we're going to. That's do fine.
0: That I'll read it without the but, series or without the podcast.
1: Okay. No, I mean I want to actually get. Like, I think it'd be really good for the podcast. Like it'd be really good, and it's a really good book too.
0: Just do like a one-shot type thing. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. But one last thing
1: from their conversation, is that Ajihad warns Aragon about Aragon's responsibilities or what people are going to expect of him. And I just wanted to make a note about Ajihad here. It doesn't seem he's definitely playing a chess match, but it doesn't seem like he's the one playing. It's more like he's watching a chess match and determining how he would play the next round. If that, sure that makes any sense.
0: I'm pretty sure he's Lord Sidia. <laughs> Dark Sidia.
1: Palpatine, yes. yes that, has Palpatine. Ajihad is Palpatine. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, he has that kind of, he has that charisma and that intellect to do so. And also it's a pretty common thing. Like yeah. I would not have, I'd have no reservations about saying that Ajihad could be just as bad as Galvatore.
0: Oh yeah. And, and again, we talked about this earlier. It's It's the better of two evils. What is that? You know, what would that be? I don't honestly think
1: that Ajahad would be the better of two evils. Really? But, I see, that goes back to my initial thing that I've been saying throughout this whole series about Rebels, or about Rebels in fantasy, is that so much of the times, the people, like the people involved in the Rebellion might have the right mindset, the right ideals that align with our characters, but the leaders so often have their own agenda. Oh, yeah. So I would... Be surprised at all if Ajahad had his own agenda. If the twins had their own agenda. If Oric had his own agenda. That's just kind of how rebellions in literature work. Yeah. So.
0: I do want to say that I do want to say I do appreciate Ajahad's decision on Orick's. I do too. Um, I do. Punishment. So. Yes. That Go was.
1: But that also just inclines of how clever he is. Oh yeah. Because he punished him. But he gave him what he wanted at the same time. It's kind of like the classic. Um, no, no,
0: no. What's what going to be is, well, a predict, the, I guess the guess is, it, it maybe prediction is that maybe Ajah has just given this to him, what he wants, da da da. But when time comes, he's going to be like, all right, so what's Aragon like? What is he choosing? What is he said? Da, true. Da, as a spy. Inside. Yeah. Inside. So. But
1: that kind of is like the classic. I guess, you know, you know, like when there's like a crew or a group of people and then there's like the leader of them and then they do something wrong and the leader punishes them, but not really. Yes. I was kind of like the textbook textbook version of that. Like that happens in Star Trek. That happens in like Brother Band and Rangers Apprentice and shit like that. Yep, yep. <laughs> that happens all the time. But that's definitely what that was.
0: All right. Well, I think that's everything. Do you have a question for this week?
1: Um, once again, like nothing particularly existential hit
0: me here. Yeah, nothing really. So let's just ask one like, question. Do you pet. have any pets? If you have any pets. pets. Pet we stores. love we love dogs. Pets. Both pets. Armin and I love love. love pets are assholes. Actually, fun fact, there's a possibility that I will get a dog at the end of the year. Seriously? Yeah. Man, I didn't know that. Yeah. It is a all possibility. Right, it's, all right. not, it's not a hundred percent yet, but if we ever get one we'll definitely post it. Yeah, but we, uh, my fiance and I, have been talking about it, and Bro, yeah, awesome. we we really love a dog. I know it'd be great with it. So we're just kind of looking into it and seeing what the what the whole shebang look like. What we'd have to do for it. So, but
1: yes, if you have dog, has got to a course. cone of shame on right now.
0: Yeah, sadly, your dog has a cone of shame.
1: Yeah, did I tell you about that? You did tell
0: me about that. Yeah. Yep.
1: She got no fight with a cat.
0: Although,
1: oh, it is pretty funny when she, she like tries to go under the table and just like. 10 balls. Oh,
0: poor, poor, it's so
1: sad, but it's also really funny.
0: Uh. (laughs) All right. Well, so if you have any pet stories, let us know, let us know the biggest, the biggest question. And I know everyone will want to jump in on this. Are you a cat person or are you a dog person? Uh. We'll leave it at that. Everybody that's a wrap. (laughs) Flights through Allegazia is produced by Chip and Armin, Posted by Chip and Armin, created by Chip and Armin, edited by Chip, music is by Oscar Barbeza, website is by Chip, illustrations are by Bertie Taylor. Thank you for listening and have a great day.